Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the CX Cast. Sam Stern, joined as always by Jenny Wise. Hi, Jenny. We have on the line from Philadelphia our colleague, Faith Adams. Hi, Faith. Hello, everybody. And Faith, we wanted to talk to you about your recent report that was titled How to Transition Your Voice of the Customer Vendor. Very functional report giving some nice guidance to clients in that situation. Can you start us off, though? How do clients come to find themselves in this situation where this report would be one that they would be reaching for to figure out how to make this transition go well? The space is changing so fast. And there's new entrants coming to the market, and everybody and their brother is claiming to be a VOC vendor of sorts. And so I think that it often blurs the lines a little bit where people don't know what they don't know, and so they want to go shopping. And at the same time, though, there's a lot of fear and a lot of concern because, let's face it, these programs took a lot to get up and running. They required a lot of investment. So sometimes people want to see if the grass is greener, if there's something else out there that's going to help them meet their needs and achieve their goals. But at the same time, there's also a lot of people who are a little bit fearful, so they do need a little bit of a push to realize that they can't permit stagnation and that they have to do something. So Faith, you caution against companies stagnating with their VOC programs, but they take a lot of work. What are some of the challenges that companies come across in their current VOC programs that let them either know they're stagnating or think that they need to look for a new solution? Well, where shall I begin? Because there's a lot of challenges. (laughs) You know, it it sounds so easy, right? Listen to the voice of the customer, interpret and analyze the data, enable others to act or take action, and then monitor ongoing. But at the end of the day, each of those pieces of that cycle have problems associated with them. So, for example, and listen, we see so many companies, and this this one has become my latest uh, hot button these days, so many companies that are survey obsessed. We keep hearing things like, oh, we're just going to add more questions, or our executive team wants us to do another survey. And survey is not the solution mm-hmm. in most cases. We continue to hear a lot of companies squandering their unstructured and unsolicited feedback. They're not making the most of data and information that they already have at their disposal. So what really surprises me is how many companies don't even have a relationship with their contact center, which to me is like such a hotbed of opportunity with the calls themselves, with the actual agents, that voice of the employee, that's something else that is another huge opportunity. So they're not actually even embracing the front lines or that wealth of data and information that's already being collected to become more strategic about when, where, and how they collect feedback. As far as interpreting, we hear a lot of companies talking about being data rich, but their insights poor. And another one that drives me crazy, I'm like, no good things happen in silos, um, is the silo data, you know, a mishmash of tools sitting in different pockets of the organization with no coordination. So I always use the example of, you know, hypothetically speaking, you're a digital team, you have access to maybe the data that's coming in from a digital VOC specialist, for example, like a usabilla. But yet your organization will say if you're a financial services firm, maybe you have a vendor like uh, Medallia, Qualtrics, Merit CX, or the like in the retail branches. Maybe you're also using a tool that's an aggregator similar to a top box or a stratified. There, there's a wealth of different types of vendors that can be in place here. But if things are not being brought together and they're sitting in silos, how are you actually able to move to action in a very effective and strategic way? That leads to then, you know, when we get to the action piece, a lot of companies still aren't closing the loop, whether it be that inner or that outer loop. We see a lot of companies still struggling to deploy standard prioritization framework. It's actually been really shocking. I've had a number of workshops lately where I asked the question about how are they prioritizing, and very few, and quite frankly, um, in my last couple, there have been zero. 
Mm-hmm. That's something that was in place that was very formalized. And so then, you know, we get to that monitor piece. How can you actually prove the value of what you're doing? How do you actually show that there's been progress? How do you show that you're actually making some great strides and that you're being successful? How do you show that financial impact? Let's just say the VOC is kind of riddled with some challenges right now. And so Mm -hmm. much of it stems from, I think, just um, really efforts kind of being ad hoc or starting somewhere and then everybody else kind of goes rogue and does their own thing too. It's really kind of a a problematic area right now. Yeah, that's a a lot of problems (laughs) you just listed off. I know. Um, And just to, you know, recap them, right? I hate to sound so negative. No, that's okay. It's honest. It's truthful. I'm sure people listening are like, yes, we know that problem very well. Yeah, so you just hit on a few categories, right? The listen, interpret, act, and monitor. But some of the problems that you were saying, you know, as you were saying them, weren't necessarily our vendor is terrible, right? And they don't have any of the features that we need. Some of them sound like they may be a problem within the organization, right? Or how the organization is using the vendor. So when you're thinking about, you know, do I need to transition? Do some companies need to look internally too to see if maybe they're the problem in the relationship with their vendor? Absolutely. I always say that these relationships between an organization and the vendor, they're like that of a marriage. You don't enter it, the relationship expecting it to fail. It takes two to tango. And so I think that it's really important that people take a good hard look in the mirror about where the challenges actually exist. It's not always the vendor's fault, but then there are those times when it is the vendor's fault. So that you have to have that open line of communication. And I often will say to people as they're looking at vendors, who gives you the warm fuzzies as far as <laughs> from a people perspective? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, you have to feel comfortable talking to these people about your challenges or even where they're failing you or where they can do better. Because mm-hmm. nobody's going to win in a relationship where it's not a two-way street. And it's not easy. Even in this report, I highlighted that you have to be able to have that candid conversation with the vendor because if you're not willing to do that, that's a sign of a bigger problem. You have to hold them accountable. And in many ways, they should hold you accountable too and push you to strive for something more, to innovate, to not let your program stagnate. So it's very much like a marriage. You have to push each other and you have to be accountable. Yeah. So step one in how to transition is see if you need to transition or maybe the partnership works to go to go to couple yeah. counseling. Well, yeah. And I think, I mean, Faith, I think it's a, the point that you're, you know, sort of implicit in all this, it's really well taken is if your dysfunction is not examined at this point, when you're examining this relationship, this important relationship in your CX program, you will carry it over inevitably to the next vendor. Even if the you know working dynamic is better, if you're not able to do some of these fundamental things inside of your organization that make a VOC program successful, the new vendor, even if they're better, is still going to struggle to help you in the ways you expect them to. Exactly. And the new vendor, even if they're quote unquote better on paper, they'll never be perceived as better. And all it does is run the risk of even if things do improve slightly down the road, that you're really not able to highlight where it's coming from. So I think that it also trickles on, you know, down uh, further in the relationship as well. If you don't get all your ducks in a row, it's kind of been frustrating to actually see that uh, people just think that they can take what they were doing with, you know, one vendor, lift it and put it somewhere else. It's a, I believe it's a definition of insanity, doing the same things over and over again and expecting a different result. Um, It's a shame, but it's, uh, you know, something's got to change here. And so that was, I think, one of the big reasons for this report, too, is you have to, like you said, you know, know the why behind it. Like, what's what's really leading to this? You have to evaluate your program for the gaps. That's the next step. And then you have to actually create very, very clear goals. You have to have a clear objective. And without that, you're setting yourself up for failure again. 
Um, and all you do, the, m- the more you continue to fail, especially when you're putting the technology cards before the horse, is you're setting yourself up to never really be able to show the impact of what a real strategic BOC program can do for you. So even if, you know, this amazing vendor comes in and you buy this great, bright, shiny technology that you think is going to change the world, it's not going to be able to because of all the constraints that are limiting you internally. Yeah. So CX professionals, first, heal thyself. So then if the problem was with the organization Mm. or, you know, not the organization, but in the way that they're implementing the technology or setting the right goals, you know, that title of this report is how to transition your vendor. But is the answer ever, you know, you don't need to transition the vendor. There are other steps that you can take to get more out of the relationship with the current vendor. Absolutely. And unfortunately, I couldn't have a title of a report that'd be how to transition your VOC vendor. And if if you decide that you don't want to or don't have to, how to go about re-implementing. That would have been too long. I don't think anybody would have read (laughs) it. It's a bit of a mouthful. Um, But uh, we do definitely say, and this was um, one of the big ahas that I've had, I'd say, in the past year specifically, is that, you know, there is this option of re-implementation. And this stems from, you know, we know that a lot of the technology vendors also do offer services or they have service partners. I do think that there's been, I think, a pivot too much towards technology where people aren't focusing on the criticality of services behind it. And that's where this re-implementation option can be really valuable. So in a number of cases where I've worked with Forrester customers on identifying the challenges with their vendor, should they be going to look at other vendors? One of the things that popped out is that this re-implementation option really does enable you to kind of stick with your current technology, but really revamp your approach. So if you have the right services partner, and again, it comes down to that fuzzy relationship, you can really get your technology set up on the right path. And you can also really evolve your program. So as I was doing the research for this report, there was one instance specifically that I had interviewed a service partner and we were talking about a company and it had sounded like a very eerily similar situation. It turned out it was an organization that I had also worked with. They had a great technology. It just wasn't being used effectively. And so by by pivoting towards the services vendor without disrupting what was already in place, they were able to not only lessen the costs of the technology, they were also able to be become far more effective in how the technology was used. And this was through um, the service partner. In this case, it was Common Font. They're more of a specialized vendor that they don't do like huge CX transformations. They're very focused on a lot of the the program pieces. So the implementation and management, program management of the VOC and CFM platforms or EFM platforms. So it's just really refreshing to see that they didn't have to disrupt all of the hard work that was put forth to date. Just by simply dialing it back, resetting themselves up for success, they were able to really head in the right direction. So don't feel like you have to make too many abrupt changes. Sometimes it could be as simple as working with a different partner who's able to come in, understand your needs, help you develop a plan, and then get the technology set up in in an effective way that will enable you to start to propel yourself forward a little bit more. And it's always nice to have, you know, I think a helping hand. I know that I often hear from a lot of our customers that their teams are small. They're being pulled in a million different directions. So sometimes having this help, especially when you're first resetting or re-implementing, also really does, uh, I think, lessen some of the burden on the team, too, and give you some time to focus on more of the driving engagement internally, getting other stakeholders on board, really identifying what's going to be critical to engage people to actually go ask. There's a lot of benefits that can come from that re-implementation option. The word re-implementation is sort of keeps sticking in my mind here. How 
formal a step is that? I mean, is it sort of like we're going to disconnect and reconnect and start over here? Or is it, you know, can it be a light refresh? How, how does that work? It's like a little strategy tweak. <laughs> yeah. You know, are there, is there a whole spectrum of re-implementations or should it be this big like relaunch party? It's like new Coke or something where it's like, okay, we, this is a clear departure point from before and we're going to start with a clean slate. Yeah, I think it depends on the nature of what's happening within your organization. I know that there's been a number of situations where I would definitely recommend a complete re-implementation where you're able to go create more of that buzz behind it. You want to create the excitement and get other people engaged because maybe there was a culture gap or maybe they didn't necessarily go out and engage stakeholders to really understand what's important and meaningful to them. So you could definitely use it as an opportunity to, to kind of do something that's a little bit bigger splash, so to speak. But then there's those minor tweaks that I think could also be very impactful and helpful. And so being able to kind of just maybe go reset the strategy or maybe you bought a whole bunch of bells and whistles that aren't being used. And we could probably easily spend one, two, or three of these calls just talking about the different types of re-implementations that could be possible. So that's where I think coming in and doing like a mini maturity assessment is critical to identify those gaps in your program, identify your short, middle, and long-range goals of what you want to achieve. What are you doing and what's working well? What's not working? What are you not doing and what would make sense to make a part of the program? You can often lean on that as a way to identify where to go next. Let's say you've decided you've done that actual careful work and you figured out which is the right level of re-implementation for your company, for your team. How do you communicate that to the vendor so it's clear that things haven't been going as well as they might, but also we're recommitting to this, right? We're starting fresh. You do that in a way where it's like, this is not great news, but it's also not the end. And so like, we want there to be some changes, but also don't get too defensive. Do you know what I mean? Because I think that's a tricky thing to get that just right, that they get excited about a fresh start rather than defensive. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's where it's all about that deeper relationship. If you're not able to be candid with one another about what is and isn't working, that's a huge sign of a problem. That's a very good Um, point. I like that a lot. If you worry about that conversation, then maybe it actually isn't re-implementation you need, but a a new vendor. Exactly. I've seen some cases where, you know, for example, I was physically in a place with a client, vendors were presenting, and the incumbent vendor actually came in and did not want to own any of the challenges that had existed to date. In fact, they actually kind of blamed the client for some of the challenges that they had had as the incumbent vendor. And in my experience, that was probably one of the most horrifying things that I've seen, despite the fact that the client had said that they had told them repeatedly about things that they had expected to see from them, especially given what they were paying. I think sometimes when you have that standard conversation and it doesn't go well, it's a sign that the relationship is ultimately so damaged. Mm-hmm. that reimplementation probably is not the option. So sometimes what I'll talk to Forrester clients about is, you know, do you get the vibe that they're actually a real partner in the sense of the definition or that this is a real relationship to them and it's not just a vendor and customer relationship, you know, because vendor and partner or in the word relationship are also very, very different. And so sometimes it's really about identifying, like, what is the root cause? Like, what is the state of the relationship? Is the relationship already broken? So it's really important to, you know, as you're looking at external options, new vendors also um, don't necessarily completely downplay re-implementation, you have to be able to look at both things as you're going through this early part of the decision to make the change. Great. Well, Faith, a lot of good advice in here. A report that is probably going to be picked up at random times by lots of different clients when they need it, right? Uh, And it'll be the one they turn to when it's time to uh, decide, are we ready for re-implementation? Can we even handle that with this vendor? And if we can't, then that's probably a sign that really we should be transitioning, but also CX professionals I come back to a key piece of advice in all of this. First, 
self-examine. First, heal thyself to make sure that your next VOC vendor relationship isn't a vendor relationship, it's a partnership. So, Faith, thanks so much for joining us this week. And listeners, we'll talk to you all on next week's episode of the CX Cast. Thanks to our colleagues, Amanda Chen, for recording and mixing the episode, and Will Wilsey for editing and publishing. And listeners, if you have questions, feedback, comments, or suggestions for new episodes, please email us at cxcast at forrester.com. And remember, your customers' perceptions are your customer experience reality.